Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Malachi, chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is a witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard, and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard. And do not be unfaithful. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's, uh, let's pause and pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We need for you to speak to us from it. We need you to point us to Jesus. And so we pray that you do that. Amen. There's a, there's a movie that came out recently called Arrival. I don't know if any of you saw that movie. Um, I won't spoil the plot for you if you haven't seen it, but basically Arrival is the story of some creatures from outer space who come down to Earth in their spaceships. By the way, it's not a true story, all right? These creatures come down in their spaceships, and when, the humans, when humans interact with these creatures we discover that the way they think, the way these extraterrestrial beings um, conceive of reality is radically different than the way human beings have ever thought. And so in the movie, when we learn how to think the way they do, well, I can't tell you what happens. That, that would spoil the movie, all right? But it, that's, that's the whole plot line, all right? So basically, there's these creatures... And their thoughts are not our thoughts. They think differently. That can be a, an experience sometimes you feel when you read the Bible. The Bible is, is the, word, the word of the living God. It's written by humans but inspired by God. So a lot of times you, you have this kind of feeling. You, you read the Bible and you encounter the thoughts of a being who is radically different than you are. A being who is infinite, who is eternal, who, who created the world. Uh, you, you read the Bible and you find thoughts that are not like yours at all. It can be a little bit disconcerting. In fact, God says in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So very often, you, you open the Bible, you read the words there, and you have this strange experience. Sometimes it's troubling. All right? Sometimes it's comforting. Sometimes it just changes your life. But you have this strange experience of, 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 of running into Thoughts, the thoughts of God, and they are so different than your own. 
Um, for some of you, the passage that we're looking at this morning might produce that kind of experience. Just want you to be aware of that. We're, uh, we're right now studying uh, the Old Testament book of Malachi. Malachi was a prophet who was sent by God to, with a message for the people of Israel. This is in the years after they had returned from their exile in Babylon. And in today's passage, we find God speaking through the prophet and he's expressing to the people some thoughts that seem a little bit unusual, at least in our culture, in our world. And so to, to look at this, I'm going to just kind of break down my words to you under three different headings. I want to talk first about the concerns that God is expressing here, the concerns he had for the people of Israel. Secondly, the reason why he had these concerns. And this is where it starts to get weird. This is where it's just we don't think this way, right? So the concerns he has, the reasons for these concerns, and then I'd like to end with one really amazing, comforting implication of all this for us, okay? So we'll start with God's concerns for, for Israel. God, in this passage, uh, expresses through the prophet that he was very, very bothered by the actions of two different groups of people, all right? The first, first group is addressed in verse 10 through 12, and God is addressing here some Israelite men who had married non-Israelite women. The men were Hebrews, and the women they married were not. And God says, verse, verse 11, through the prophet, he says, Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. Or that could be translated by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. And if you've read the Old Testament, you're not completely surprised by this because you'll find this throughout the Old Testament. The people of Israel again and again were told by God they should not marry non-Israelites. You need to understand this. This is not a racial thing. Some people have sometimes twisted scripture, you know, against interracial marriage. This has nothing to do with race. First of all, race is a modern construct. They didn't even think in terms of race back then. If they had, the Hebrew people would have looked at the nations around them and thought, hey, they're exactly the same race as us because there are clues in scripture that the Israelites looked exactly like everyone else around them, all right? It's not about race. A second reason for that, if, if you read in the Old Testament, um, if a non-Hebrew a non-Israelite, converts, comes to faith in Yahweh, the God of Israel, joins the covenant people, then God says, that's fine, marry them. For example, um, Rahab, have you heard of her, the book of Joshua? Ruth has a whole book named after her. These, these were two um, pagan women who converted, who were radically changed. They came to faith in the God of Israel. They joined the covenant. Hebrew men married them. And not only did God allow them to marry them, God blessed those marriages. Those women are actually ancestors of Jesus Christ. So this is not a, the Bible nowhere prohibits interracial marriage. This is talking about interfaith marriage. This is talking about marrying someone who'd, who doesn't uh, share your same uh, beliefs, who doesn't follow the same God you do. This, that's, that's what this is talking about. Now, this is not just in the Old Testament. New Testament, we find the same thing. Christians are, are, are told that they are to marry other believers. First uh, Corinthians chapter 7 the Apostle Paul was giving some advice to uh, some women in the church who were considering marrying. And he says to them, he says, sisters, you can marry anyone you want. He says, but he must belong to the Lord. 
Marry a man who belongs to the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is not talking specifically about marriage, all right? But it, it includes the concept of marriage, and it says this, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. So you find this through the, through the Bible, uh, God telling us, when we make this very, very, perhaps the biggest decision you make in your life, other than who your God is going to be, is who you're going to marry, right? Um, God says, marry someone who shares your faith convictions. Now, just thinking from kind of a purely relational point of view, that does make sense, doesn't you? There, there, uh, doesn't it? There's a, um, there's an ongoing column that you find in the New York Times Sunday Magazine called The Ethicist. And this is a column where if you're facing some kind of moral dilemma, you write in to the, the columnist and you ask for advice and then he, he prints his answer. And about a month and a half ago, there was a guy writing in and he's, he's saying, I, I don't know what to do. I, can't, I think my marriage is going to end. I don't know how I can, after what has happened in our home, I don't know how I can possibly remain married to this woman. I, I can't envision our life continuing together after what took place. And you're wondering what took place, isn't it? They voted for different candidates in the last election. And I read this, I'm like, are you crazy? Are you serious? You can't love somebody who voted for someone different than you? That's, that's ridiculous. That's so silly, right? It is silly, but marriages have ended over smaller things than that. Right? Over smaller things than that. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've come to know God's grace through a relationship with Jesus. Your faith in Jesus is not a small thing, is it? In fact, if you've really come to know him, I, I don't, I'm sure you would say that the love of Christ for you and your response to that, desiring to honor him, deliver him, that's like the core commitment of your life. So, you, I mean, just thinking logically, you have to ask yourself, how do you really think you could find a lasting growing, fruitful relationship with someone who, who doesn't share that conviction with you. Amos chapter 3, verse 3, Kent says, Can two walk together if they're not agreed? Well, you can disagree about a lot of things. There are a lot of things I disagree with my wife on. We walk together. I can't imagine us staying together if we didn't agree that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Right? So, it makes sense. Now, somebody might be thinking, you know, what you say is true, but I'm going to marry her. I'm going to marry him anyway because so I have a plan. I'm going to save them. I'm going to get her, her converted. I'm going to get him converted. Um, okay. First Corinthians chapter 7, you find lots of apostolic advice on marital life. And one of the things the apostle says is this. If you are a Christian and you are already married to a non-believer. doesn't matter how it happened. You, that, that's your situation. The apostle says, listen, you love that person. You stay in that marriage. You show them the love of Christ. And, and, it, and in that situation, it's okay for you to hope secretly that maybe they'll come to know Jesus. In fact, the apostle says, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So if you're already in that situation, there's nothing wrong with just secretly praying and longing that they will come to know this amazing Savior whom you've met, right? But let me ask you, if you're, if you're, if you're not married, you're single, and you stand at the altar with somebody and say to them, essentially, through the marriage, I, I love you the way you are, I accept you the way you are, and yet secretly, 
you're planning to change them? I don't know about you, that just doesn't seem, that doesn't seem honest to me, right? It doesn't seem fair to me. But anyway, this is, this is what God is concerned about. He's, he's, uh, he's concerned about this one group in ancient Israel. These, these are Hebrew men who are marrying pagan women. Now, the second concern, the second group he's concerned about were Hebrew men who were divorcing Hebrew women. So these are men who know God, their wives know God, they, they, they all belong to the same Lord, the same Father, and yet these men are saying, I want out from this. And you read about this in verse 13. God says, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears, you weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You've been unfaithful to her. Though she is your partner, the the wife of your marriage covenant, has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard. Do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. Now, we have no idea what exactly was going on here, and there probably there were probably many variety of different stories. There may have been some, there may have been some men uh, in ancient Israel who were just feeling frustrated and trapped in their marriage, and they wanted their freedom and they wanted out. There may have been some men who were not any longer feeling physically attracted to their wife, and some other woman had caught their eye, and they wanted to be with her. We don't we don't know the story. Whatever it was, God God was saying to these men, listen. If you abandon her, you got to answer to me. Now, why is he only talking to the men? In the ancient world, women did not have rights, and they did not have the right to divorce. If it had been our world, he might have, he might have been talking to the women as well. If you're going to abandon him, you've got to answer to me. And so God says in verse 14, the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. That could have been translated in some versions have it in the past tense. The Lord was the witness between you and the wife of your youth. So God is basically saying to these ancient men, he's saying, listen, you don't realize it, but I was at your wedding. You didn't put me on the invitation list. You didn't see where I was sitting in, in, in the pew, but I was there. God says, I was there, and I heard what you said to her. You promised. You said, till death do us part. Now, it's important when you're studying something like this to read the full breadth of what the Bible says on a subject. And in the New Testament, we, we do find that there are, there are some situations where God allows divorce and remarriage. He doesn't command it, but he allows it. And, and there are really only two. In, in the case of unrepentant infidelity on, the, on behalf of your spouse, someone's cheating on you and they won't repent, or in, in, the, in the situation of irreconcilable desertion. You've tried to save the marriage, but they want out. They are leaving. There's nothing you can do. In, in those situations, God would allow divorce. But listen, in any other situation in life, God says, you're married. This is for life. It's for life. So these were the concerns God had for the people back then. There were believers who were marrying non-believers, and there were people who were bailing out on their marriages. Now, second thought. Why? What is the reason why God has these concerns? And this is, this is where just this, 
I had a hard time really understanding this passage, and I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. This is where God's thoughts are not like our thoughts. He doesn't seem to speak the same language that we do. Here's what I mean. You and I live in a culture. We've lived in it our entire life. We live in a culture that places an absolute premium on personal, individual fulfillment. Personal happiness is our high. In fact, in the United States of America, even in one of our founding documents, Declaration of Independence, it says everyone has this inalienable right. You are entitled to what? Life, liberty, your freedom, right? And the pursuit of what? Happiness. It's like well, this is, everyone has the right to happiness, don't they? And so when we think about marriage, we think, you know, this is, hey, this is my personal decision. If I want to marry her, you know, who are anyone to say about this, right? I have the right to happiness. Or if, if I need to leave this relationship, you don't understand my situation. I have the right to happiness. So because we live in this culture and this is the way we think, I think this way, I mean, which is, this is the way we are. We kind of expect God to explain why he doesn't want these things happening by, by talking about happiness. A lot of you, if you had a, if you had a, Christian, a Christian friend who's considering marrying a non-Christian, you might say to your friend, listen, I just want you to be happy. Don't you realize that if you marry her or you marry him, you're gonna, you're, your whole life, you're, you, you know, you're going to feel frustrated. It's going to be hard to raise your children together. There's going to be times where you don't see eye to eye. You're, you're not going to be as happy as you could be, and I want you to be happy. Or maybe you have a friend who's considering divorce, and you say, listen, I know it's tough. I know it's hard. But do you have any idea how painful divorce is? Do you have any idea how, how this will set you back financially and this will change your life socially? And, and it, do you know the statistics that many people who get divorced later look back and regret, regret that decision? They're not happy. I just want, you're my friend. I want you to be happy. That's the way we would talk, right? God doesn't talk at all about their happiness here. Not once. He doesn't talk about happiness. He talks about their faithfulness. Which is just, it's like he's speaking a different language. But that's, that's sort of the common, there's one word that just appears again and again, five times in his passage. It's almost like a drumbeat. He keeps repeating this one word, and it's the word unfaithful. Verse 10, why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Verse 11, Judah has been unfaithful. Verse 14, you have been unfaithful. Verse 15, do, do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Verse 16, be on your guard. Do not be unfaithful. He just, he just keeps repeating this. He doesn't talk about happiness. He talks about faithfulness. Now, that kind of bothers me because I'm like, God, well, you don't care if I'm happy? What's the deal? You don't, you don't love me? You don't care if I'm happy? Listen, yes, he loves you. And yes, he desires your deepest joy. You find that throughout the Bible. God expresses his desire for his joy to fill your life but God, I think, is saying here that the way to find personal happiness is not to run after personal happiness. The way to find happiness and joy is to stay close to him. And so he talks about unfaithful here, and so he seems to be saying that those who marry outside the covenant, you're, you're somehow betraying the whole covenant community. You're not being, we're not being faithful to the covenant by doing this. 
And, and those who, who leave their marriage, it's not just that you're making a difficult decision. You're being unfaithful to someone with whom you've entered covenant. Right? And in, in all of these things, he says, if, if you're living your life the way you want to, and not, God is saying, not putting me first, your Lord, you're violating the covenant that I've made against you. He's using covenantal language here, and he's calling them, I want you to be faithful. I want you to be faithful. Now, why does God talk this way? Here's, here's where we get to my third point. Um, there's an amazing implication of this. This is not an easy passage. Uh, yeah. People who knew this passage was coming said to me, whoa, this is going to be hard. I'm going to talk about that. Here's an amazing, comforting, life-giving implication of this. God describes himself here as our father. We are his children. Why does our father want us to be faithful? Because he is faithful. God is faithful. One of the, the, the key verses to the whole book of Malachi, we'll get to it in a couple of weeks, uh, Malachi 3, verse 6, God says, I, the Lord, do not change. I change all the time. I lost an hour's sleep last night. I'm grumpy today. God says, I don't change. I never change. I'm always the same. God is faithful. Why does he care about faithfulness? Because, listen, faithfulness is not just something God does. Faithful is something God is. It's part of his character. He doesn't change. He's a faithful God. Let me tell you what that means. If God makes a promise to you, he will keep it. God enters covenant with you, he will honor that covenant. If God has formed a relationship with you, he will never, ever, ever file for divorce with you. He will never back out of that. He is a faithful God. And that ought to make us just want to stand up and sing. Isn't it wonderful to have a God like that? Let me, um, let me give you three scenarios where, where that might be the most comforting thought you can take home with you today. If, if any of these describe you. Um, why it's so comforting to know God is faithful. Let's, let's put ourselves in the position of a Christian single, and we have some here, a, a single who would one day like to be married. And it's hard enough to find a decent spouse in New York City, isn't it? And then you come to church today and you hear this? It's like God is saying, you know what? The pool of prospective spouses was already pretty small, and I'm going to shrink it even smaller. Yeah, I want you to marry another believer. And you're saying, God, if I do that, if I obey you, if I do what you're saying here, I might never find anyone. I might be single my whole life. And that's true. You might but hear me, God will be faithful to you. You, you might be single, but you will never be alone. God will be faithful. He will not, our Father does not condemn his children to a life of fruitlessness and emptiness and isolation. Guys, 
Proverbs 4, verse 18 says, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It grows brighter and brighter to the new day. So, the path that God calls his people to follow is not always the one they would have chosen for themselves, but he never, ever calls us to a path that gets darker and darker and more and more dismal. When you're walking with God, it gets increasingly better. He will be faithful to you. Let's consider another scenario. Let's imagine, and every church has people like this, a Christian who is married, and it's a hard marriage. So many things that you had dreamt of for yourself and your partner in your marriage just have never come to fruition. It's, it's been filled with conflict, or it's been very unfulfilling, or it's just very, very difficult. And you're thinking to yourself, I've reached the point where I'm realizing this marriage might never get any better. This situation might never change. And that's true. It might never change. But hear me. God will be faithful to you. The Second Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is describing a situation he was in where he just felt trapped. He felt like this is miserable. He doesn't give us a lot of details. He calls it some kind of thorn in the flesh. He said, I'm just suffering here. This is horrible. He's crying out to God, please, will you take this away from me? Will you let me out of this? And God basically comes to him and says, no. I've called you to this. But God said, my grace will be sufficient for you. You stay there and you trust me and you will find God. In fact, God said to him, my strength is made perfect in weakness. You're in a situation where you just feel weak and broken. And God says, that's, that's where I'm going to meet you. Make my strength known. So God will be faithful. We have a faithful God. One more scenario. I'll end with this. Let's, there may be some here and you're, you, this passage has been heavy for you. Maybe you are a believer and you're already married an unbeliever. Or you're a believer and, and you divorce somebody and, and you're realizing you shouldn't have. And you're looking at a major decision that you made and you realize this is one of those decisions that cannot be undone and you're feeling condemned and you're saying, I've, I've blown it. I've messed up. God must be done with me. He has nothing left for me. Listen, I want you to hear me, and I'm speaking as a fellow sinner, all right? God will be faithful to you. Even if you've made mistakes, God will. There's, there's this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and it's hard to know exactly what to do with this because the words are so amazing, but it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Even when we blow it, God doesn't give up on us. Even, even when we sin, he doesn't cast us out. Even, even when we've made wrong choices, God does not wash his hands of us and say, I'm done with you. He doesn't do that. He wasn't doing that with Israel in, the, in this book of Malachi. The, listen, he's talking to men who have already married pagan women. He's talking to men who have already divorced their wives. And, and we might be thinking, well, that's the end of God's relationship with Israel. He wants nothing more to do with them. But that's not the case. How do we know it's not the case? Because he's still talking to them. He sent Malachi, his prophet, to talk to them, and he introduces himself as their father. 
They're still his children. They've, they've broken his heart. But they haven't left his love. Now we can be even more sure that God won't give up on us if we fail or sin. Because, well, Romans 5 verse 8. Do you know this verse? This is how God demonstrates his love for us. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it goes on to say in verse 10, it says, if, if when we were God's enemies. Do you know that before you came to Christ, you were God's enemy? It says, if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And you know what that's saying? It's saying, listen, believer, you used to be God's enemy, and when you were his enemy, he loved you so much, he, he sent his son to die for you. Now that you're his child... You're not his enemy anymore. You're his child. Now that you're his child, you think he's going to kick you out of the family because you've made some mistakes? No way. God will be faithful to you. So this is, this is not the easiest of passages. I wish I would have asked Pastor Jeffrey to preach on it. <laughs> These are some thoughts that just seem so different than the way we think about personal decisions in our life. You would expect God to think differently than us, right? He calls us to be faithful. Be faithful to the covenant people of God. Don't break faith by marrying outside the covenant. Be faithful to the partner you have. Don't break faith by, by, by leaving them beside. And these can be hard words. But why does he talk about this? Because he's the faithful God. And he will never, ever turn his back on you. Let's pray together. God of covenant, we thank you that you have made covenant with us, sealed with the blood of your son. You've been so good to us. Give us grace to follow you by faith. Amen.